Chapter Twenty Four of History of the World War by Francis March and Richard Beamish. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Marianne. Chapter Twenty Four, The Campaign in Mesopotamia. In our previous discussion of the British campaign in Mesopotamia, we left the British forces entrenched at Kurna, and also occupying Basra, the port of Baghdad. The object of the Mesopotamia expedition was primarily to keep the enemy from the shores of the Gulf of Persia. If the English had been satisfied with that, the misfortune which was to come to them might never have occurred, but the whole expedition was essentially political rather than military in its nature. The British were defending India. The Germans, unable to attack the British Empire by sea, were hoping to attack her by land. They had already attempted to stir up a holy war with the full expectation that it would lead to an Indian revolution. In this they had failed, for the millions of Mohammedans in India cared little for the Turkish Sultan or his proclamations. Through Baghdad, however, they hoped to strike a blow at the English influence on the Persian Gulf. The English, therefore, felt strongly that it was not enough to sit safely astride the Tigris, but that a blow at Baghdad would produce a tremendous political effect. It would practically prevent German communication with Persia and the Indian frontier. As a matter of fact, the Persian Gulf and the oil fields were safe so long as the English held Kurna and Basra, and the Arabs were of no special consequence. The real reason for the expedition was probably that about this time matters were moving badly for the Allies. Serbia was in trouble in the Balkans. Gallipoli was a failure. Something, it seemed, ought to be done to restore the British prestige. Up to this time the Mesopotamia expedition had been a great success, but it had made no great impression on the world. The little villages in the hands of the British had unknown names, but if Baghdad should be captured Great Britain would have something to boast of, something would keep up its prestige among its Mohammedan subjects. But before the expedition to Baghdad was determined on, there had been several lively fights between the English forces and the Turks. On March 3rd, a Turkish force numbering about 12,000 appeared at Awaz, where the British had placed a small garrison to protect the pipeline of the Anglo-Persian Oil Company. The British retirement led to heavy fighting, with severe losses. A number of lively skirmishes followed, and then the serious attack against Shiaba. The Turkish army numbered about 18,000 men, of whom 11,000 were regulars. The fighting lasted for several days, the Turks being reinforced. On the 14th of April, however, the English attacked in turn and put the whole enemy force to flight. The British lost about 700 officers and men, reported a Turkish loss of about 6,000. In their retreat, the Turks were attacked by their Arab allies and suffered additional losses. From that time till the summer, there were no serious contests, although there were occasional skirmishes which turned out favorably to the British. By this time, the Turks had collected a considerable army north of Kurna, and on May 31st an expedition was made to disperse it. On June 3rd the British captured Amara, 75 miles above Kurna, scattering the Turkish army. Early in July a similar expedition was sent against Nisiria, which led to serious fighting, the Turks being badly defeated with a loss of over 2,500 men. Kut el Amara still remained, and early in August an expedition was directed against that point. The Turks were found in great force, well entrenched, and directed by German officers. The battle lasted for four days. The English suffered great hardship on account of the scarcity of water and the blinding heat, but on September 29th they drove the enemy from the city and took possession. More than 2,000 prisoners were taken. 
the town was found thoroughly fortified with an elaborate system of trenches extending for miles built in the true german fashion its capture was the end of the summer campaign britain now had at last made up their minds to push on to baghdad general townsend whose work so far had been admirable protested but sir john nixon and the indian military authorities were strongly in favor of the expedition by october turkey was able to gather a large army she was fighting in transcaucasia egypt gallipoli and mesopotamia little was going on in the first of these fronts and she was able therefore to send to mesopotamia almost a quarter of a million men to meet these general townsend had barely fifteen thousand men of whom only one-third were white soldiers he was backed by a flotilla of boats of almost every kind river boats motor launches paddle steamers native punts the british army was almost worn out by the fighting during the intense heat of the previous summer but their success had given them confidence in the early days of october the advance began for some days it proceeded with no serious fighting on the twenty third of october it reached azizi and was halted by a turkish force numbering about four thousand these were soon routed and the advance continued until general townsend arrived at Laj, about seven miles from sestapan where the turks were found heavily entrenched and in great numbers sestapan was a famous old city which had been the battleground of romans and parthians but was now mainly ruins in these ruins however the turks found admirable shelter for nests of machine-guns on the twenty first of november general townsend made his attack the turks occupied two lines of entrenchments and had about twenty thousand men the english about twelve thousand general townsend's plan was to divide his army into three columns the first was to attack the centre of the first turkish position a second was directed at the left of that position and a third was to swing widely round and come in on the rear of the turkish force this plan was entirely successful but the turkish army was not routed and retreated fighting desperately to its second line there it was reinforced and counter-attacked with such vigor that it drove the british back to its old first trenches the next day the turks were further reinforced and attacked again the british drove them back over and over but found themselves unable to advance the turks had lost enormously but the british had lost about one-third of their strength and were compelled to fall back they therefore returned on the twenty sixth to Laj, and ultimately after continual rear-guard attacks to cut there they found themselves surrounded and there was nothing to do but wait for help by this time the eyes of the world were upon the beleaguered british army help was being hurried to them from india but germany was also awake and marshal von der Galtz, who had been military instructor in the turkish army was sent down to take command of the turkish forces the town of kut lies in the loop of the tigris making it almost an island there was an intrenched line across the neck of land on the north and the place could resist any ordinary assault the great difficulty was one of supplies however as the relieving force was on the way no great anxiety was felt for some days there was a constant bombardment which did no great damage on the twenty-third an attempt was made to carry the place by assault but this too failed the relieving force however was having its troubles these were the days of floods and progress was slow and at times almost impossible moreover the turks were constantly resisting the relief expedition was composed of thirty thousand indian troops two anglo-indian divisions and the remnants of townsend's expedition a total of about ninety thousand men general sir percy lake was in command of the entire force the march began on january sixth by january eighth the british had reached sheikh saad 
where the Turks were defeated in two pitched battles. On January 22nd, he arrived at Umm el Hena, where the Turks had entrenched themselves. After artillery bombardment, the Turkish positions were attacked, but heavy rains had converted the ground into a sea of mud, rendering rapid movement impossible. The enemy's fire was heavy and effective, inflicting severe losses, and though every effort was made, the assault failed. For weeks the British troops bouviacked in driving rain on soaked and sodden ground. Three times they were called upon to advance over a perfectly flat country, deep in mud and absolutely devoid of cover against well-constructed and well-planned trenches, manned by a brave and stubborn enemy, approximately their equal in numbers. They showed a spirit of endurance and self-sacrifice of which their country may be proud. But the repulse at Hanna did not discourage the British army. It was decided to move up the left bank of the Tigris, and attack the Turkish position at the Jujiala redoubt. This meant a night march across the desert with great danger that there would be no water supply, and that, unless the enemy was routed, the army would be in great danger. General Lake says, On the afternoon of May 7th, General Almer assembled his subordinate commanders and gave his final instructions, laying particular stress on the fact that the operation was designed to effect a surprise, and that to prevent the enemy forestalling us, it was essential that the first phase of the operation should be pushed through with the utmost vigor. His dispositions were briefly as follows. The greater part of a division, under General Young Husband, assisted by naval gunboats, controlled the enemy on the left bank. The remaining troops were formed into two columns, under General Kemball and General Keary, respectively, a reserve of infantry and the cavalry brigade, being held at the corps commander's own disposal. Kemble's column, covered on the outer flank by the cavalry brigade, was to make a turning movement to attack the Dujiala redoubt from the south, supported by the remainder of the force, operating from a position to the east of the redoubt. The night march by this large force, which led across the enemy's front to a position on his right flank, was a difficult operation, entailing movement over unknown ground and requiring most careful arrangement to attain success. Thanks to excellent staff work and a good march discipline, the troops reached their allotted positions apparently undiscovered by the enemy, but while Keary's column was in position at daybreak, ready to support Kemble's attack, the latter's column did not reach the point selected for its deployment in the Dujiala Depression until more than an hour later. This delay was highly prejudicial to the success of the operation. When, nearly three hours later, Kemble's troops advanced to the attack, they were strongly opposed by the enemy from trenches cleverly concealed in the brushwood and were unable to make further ground for some time, though assisted by Curie's attack upon the redoubt from the east. The southern attack was now reinforced and by 1 p.m. had pushed forward to within 500 yards of the redoubt, but concealed trenches again stopped further progress, and the Turks made several counter-attacks with reinforcements which had by now arrived from the direction of Magasis. It was about this time that the corps commanders received from his engineer officers the unwelcome news that the water supply contained in rainwater pools and in Dujiala depression, upon which he had reckoned, was insufficient and could not be increased by digging. It was clear, therefore, that unless the Dujiala redoubt could be carried that day, the scarcity of water would, of itself, compel the troops to fall back. Preparations were accordingly made for a further assault on the redoubt, and attacks were launched from the south and east under cover of a heavy bombardment. The attacking forces succeeded in gaining a foothold in the redoubt, but they were heavily counterattacked by large enemy reinforcements, and being subjected to an extremely rapid and accurate shrapnel fire from concealed guns in the vicinity of Sin after, they were forced to fall back to the positions from which they started. 
the troops who had been under arms for some thirty hours including a long night march were now much exhausted and general almer considered that a renewal of the assault during the night could not be made with any prospect of success next morning the enemy's position was found to be unchanged and general almer finding himself faced with the deficiency of order already referred to decided upon the immediate withdrawal of his troops to wadi which was reached the same night for the next month the english were held in their positions by the tigris floods on april fourth the floods had sufficiently receded to permit another attack upon um el hanna which this time was successful on april eighth the turkish position at sana i yat was attacked but the british were repulsed then they determined to make another attempt to capture the sin after redoubt on april seventeenth the fort at bayat aisa four miles from es sin on the left bank was captured after heavy bombardment and held against serious counterattacks on the twentieth and twenty-first the sunna iyat position was bombarded and vigorous assault was made which met with some success the turks however delivered a strong counterattack and succeeded in forcing the british troops back general lake says persistent and repeated attempts on both banks have thus failed and it was known that at the outside not more than six days supplies remained to the cut garrison the british troops were nearly worn out the same troops had advanced time and again to assault positions strong by art and held by a determined enemy for eighteen consecutive days they had done all that men could do to overcome not only the enemy but also exceptional climactic and physical obstacles and this on a scale of rations which was far from being sufficient in view of the exertions they had undergone but which the shortage of river transports had made it impossible to augment the need for rest was imperative on april twenty eighth the british garrison at kut el amara surrendered unconditionally after a heroic resistance of a hundred and forty three days according to british figures the surrendered army was composed of two thousand nine hundred and seventy english and six thousand indian troops the turkish figures are thirteen thousand three hundred the turks also captured a large amount of booty although general townsend destroyed most of his guns and munitions during the period in which kut el amara was besieged by the turks the british troops had suffered much the enemy bombarded the town almost every day but did little damage the real foe was starvation at first the british were confident that a relief expedition would soon reach them and they amused themselves by cricket and hockey and fishing in the river by early february however it was found necessary to reduce the rations and a month later they were suffering from hunger some little help was given them by airplanes which brought tobacco and some small quantities of supplies soon the horses and mules were slaughtered and eaten as time went on the situation grew desperate till almost the end however they did not lose hope through the wireless they were informed about the progress of the relief expeditions and had even heard their guns in the distance they gradually grew however weaker and weaker so that on the surrender the troops in the first lines were too weak to march back with their kits the turks treated the prisoners in a chivalric manner food and tobacco was at once distributed and all were interned at anatolia except general townsend and his staff who were taken to constantinople later on it was general townsend who was to have the honor of carrying the turkish plea for an armistice in the closing days of the war the surrender of cut created a world-wide sensation the loss of eight thousand troops was of course not a serious matter and the road to india was still barred but the moral effect was most unfortunate that the great british nation whose power had been so respected in the orient should now be forced to yield was a great blow to its prestige in england of course there was a flood of criticism it was very plain that a mistake had been made a commission was appointed to inquire into the whole business 
the committee reported to parliament on june twenty sixth nineteen seventeen and the report created a great sensation the substance of the report was that while the expedition was justifiable from a political point of view it was undertaken with insufficient forces and inadequate preparation and it sharply criticized those that were responsible it seems plain that the military authorities in india underestimated their opponent the report especially criticized general sir john eccles nixon the former commander of the british forces in mesopotamia who had urged the expedition in spite of the objection of general townsend others sharing in the blame were the viceroy of india baron hardinge general sir beauchamp duff commander-in-chief of british forces in india and in england major-general sir edmund barrow military secretary of the indian office j austin chamberlain secretary for india and the war committee of the cabinet according to the report besides the losses incurred by the surrender more than twenty three thousand men were lost in the relieving expedition the general armament and equipment were declared to be not only insufficient but not up to the standard in consequence of this report mr chamberlain resigned as secretary for india in the house of commons mr balfour secretary of foreign affairs supported lord harding who at the time of the report was under secretary of foreign affairs he declared the criticism of baron harding to be grossly unjust after some discussion the house of commons supported mr balfour's refusal to accept baron harding's resignation by a vote of one hundred and seventy six to eighty one it seems to be agreed that the civil administration of india were not responsible for the blunders of the expedition ten years before lord kitchener after a bitter controversy with lord curzon had made the military side of the indian government free of all civilian criticism and control the blunders here were military blunders the english of course were not satisfied to leave the situation in such a condition and at once began their plans for a new attempt to capture baghdad the summer campaign however was uneventful though on may eighteenth a band of cossacks from the russian army in persia joined the british camp a few days afterwards the british army went up the tigris and captured the dujiala redoubt where they had been so badly defeated on the eighth of march they then approached close to cut but the weather was unsuitable and there was now no object in capturing the city in august sir percy lake was succeeded by lieutenant-general sir frederick stanley maud who carefully and thoroughly proceeded to prepare for an expedition which should capture baghdad a description from general maud dated july tenth nineteen seventeen gives a full account of this expedition it was thoroughly successful this time with a sufficient army and a thorough equipment the british found no difficulties and on february twenty sixth they captured kut el amara not after a hard-fought battle but as the result of a successful series of small engagements the turks kept up a steady resistance but the british blood was up they were remembering general townsend's surrender and the turks were driven before them in great confusion the capture of Kut, however, was not an object in itself, and the British pushed steadily up on the Tigris. The Turks occasionally made a stand, but without effect. On the 28th of February, the English had arrived at Azai, halfway to Baghdad, where a halt was made. On the 5th of March, the advance was renewed. The Sestafan position, which had defied General Townsend, was found to be strongly entrenched, but empty. On March 7th, the enemy made a stand on the river Diala which enters the tigris eight miles below baghdad some lively fighting followed the enemy resisting four attempts to cross the diala however on march tenth the british forces crossed and were now close to baghdad the enemy suddenly retired and the british troops found that their main opponent was a dust storm 
The enemy retired beyond Baghdad, and on March 11th the city was occupied by the British. The fall of Baghdad was an important event. It cheered the Allies, and proved, especially to the Oriental world, the power of the British army. Those who originally planned its capture had been right, but those who were to carry out the plan had not done their duty. Under General Maud it was a comparatively simple operation, though full of admirable details, and it produced all the good effects expected. The British, of course, did not stop at Baghdad. The city itself is not of strategic importance. The surrounding towns were occupied, and an endeavor was made to conciliate the inhabitants. The real object of the expedition was attained. End of chapter 24